The Sporting Views is brought to you by Four Seam Leadership, a group of executives, speakers, and coaches dedicated to helping individuals and organizations find greatness. Learn more at fourseamleadership.com. That's the number four, seamleadership.com. And zone touchdown Steelers Antonio Brown. Ben and Brown connect. Playing a drive, hit towards left center field, giving Chase's Taylor all the way back to the wall. It's gone. A first inning homer for Brandon Lau. Henrique slots it ahead. It got on to Kovalchuk, and Kovalchuk a shot that's carefully played away by Lundquist. Now Ponikarovsky with it. Threw it in front, blocked there. Well, three examples of audio that give you a pretty good idea what we're going to be talking about on this week's edition of the Sporting Views. we got some World Series. we got a hockey legend calling it quits, but we begin with some uh, interesting, to say the least, rumors surrounding the unbeaten Seattle Seahawks, and we're going to dive into that with former Seahawks, former Washington State Cougar, a member of the Hawks broadcast team, Michael Bumpus. Bump, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing today? Doing okay. Bill Kruger along as well, the former major league pitcher, the crafty left-hander. He knows all things about all things. And then there's just me, your humble little moderator, <laughs> Tom Glasgow. So it's great to have you all with us. And uh, let's begin uh, with a former NFL receiver and yourself, Michael, about a uh, at least a temporarily inactive uh, wide receiver in Antonio Brown. An NFL suspension will come to an end after – uh, week eight, uh, we know what a dynamic player he is on the field. We know what a uh, pain in the backside he can be on and off the field. Why does this make sense for a team that leads the NFL in scoring? And and do you think there is real fire behind this smoke? Um, it, it makes sense because teams are always looking to get better. And when you just look at what Antonio Brown has done in his career, you just look at his stats, you look at him on paper, you're like, you know, that's a good pickup. He can help this football team. He can help stretch the field out. He can um, help us out on third downs. But then you look at the person and who he is and all the drama that he brings in, you start to shake your head. And I think the Hawks, they're always looking to improve. And I don't think they're ever not going to explore um, a possibility, but I also think that they're smarter than this. And I think that they have a rising star in DK and a guy in Lockett, David Moore, Philip Dorsett might come back, Josh Gordon. They got guys in place who can keep this thing going, but it wouldn't be the Seahawks. It wouldn't be Pete Carroll and John Schneider if they didn't at least explore it. So I think they're exploring this, but honestly, I'm hoping that nothing comes of it. Educate us about the chemistry of a wide receiving core. Uh, at a high level in college that you played at at Washington State in the NFL. You mentioned DK Metcalf. Um, uh, to me, what, what is baffling about this is why would you risk a guy with considerable ego in an Antonio Brown when you have an emerging superstar in DK Metcalf and I think a legitimate star in Tyler Lockett? You know, they're, I think they're exploring this because somewhere, somehow, Russell thinks he can control the situation. And Russell's the ultimate leader. 
I think he can relate with anybody. I think that he has reached a level to where he's a superstar and he demands a certain amount of respect. And he thinks that AB might just file in and, and do what he's supposed to do. But then I think of DK Metcalf. How does adding AB help or hurt DK Metcalf? Because Antonio Brown, there was a game last year or two years ago, whenever he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, there was a game where he got 17 targets and he was mad. He was complaining. 17 targets. You're not going to get 17 targets in this offense. DK is going to get his eight or nine. Tyler's going to get his eight or nine. The running backs are going to get four to five. And everyone else is falling where you can. Um, so it makes sense because it helps them get better. It makes them even more explosive, especially because Russell Wilson is storing the ball more than he ever has in his career. So explore that. But I, I worry about the development of the guys that you just mentioned, especially DK Metcalf, because he's a T.O. type guy. He's a, a Julio Jones type guy, in my opinion. I think that he has the potential to do that. Having A.B. there, I don't think it meshes well. And he's not going to be able to sit in the backseat and say, OK, I'm the third or fourth option. I just want to help this team win. You know, Bill, regardless of sport, this is an issue, the development of young talent. And, and doing everything you can to accelerate that process. And especially, you know, a guy like an obvious talent that, that DK Metcalf is already a, a significant impact player. And I think you can make a case that he's already one of the top receivers in the National Football League. But, I mean, you see it in baseball. You've got to be so careful about not putting in additional unnecessary obstacles to these types of players who are on the rise. Yeah, you're always looking for that guy that that uh, that has exceptional talent and is a difference maker, but also seems to make others around them better. Uh, you know, that seems to be you know kind of case in point with teams that have that have success. Um, sometimes the temptation is we're so strong around this whole core that having one kind of high flyer. He'll, he'll we, we can blend him in. We can we the, the strength of the core will will keep him in 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 the right place. And oh my gosh, you know he has to have learned something along the way that's humbled him a little bit, so that maybe you're going to get the best of this guy. I think there may be some truth to that. But you know what's happened is that he's been through a few iterations here now since Pittsburgh, and something keeps coming up. A new chapter keeps being told. And I'm sure they're going to do their homework on that. But the last most recent one wasn't so much that he was horrendous on the team. He had problems off the field that kept rearing their ugly head. So it isn't even just that. It's the rest of his life that that seems to be spinning out of control. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really in accord with, with Michael. I mean, I think this uh, the Seahawks are an open-minded team. They, 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 they see the individuality. They, they, uh, they really kind of want that and, and they and they 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 encourage that but i think this is a really really challenging breed of cat here i think uh, that would not serve them well i think they need defensive help don't they <laughs> i don't know maybe he can play some defense oh maybe maybe we're missing it. maybe we're missing it. maybe it's antonio brown in the secondary i'm not sure uh, uh hey mike what, what what's going on with josh gordon because i know look it's these are not identical scenarios yeah but um, Josh Gordon, at least from a buy-in standpoint, seemed, seemed to work out really nicely last season. Then there was uh, the issue with a, a relapse situation with uh, his ongoing substance uh, issues. 
but to me, he seems like a guy that they, they certainly, they want to bring him back. I'm not quite sure. Do you know what the holdup is? Do you know when we're going to have uh, clarity on that? No, no, no one knows really. And I heard John Clayton speak, um, I, I believe it was today or yesterday. And he was just, he said that they keep it close. The, the NFL is not going to go out and say, all right, this is when he's going to be ready to go. Um, they're not going to announce it. They're going to talk to Josh first. And then Josh can be the one mm-hmm. to release that information, but it's not looking good at, at, at this point when AB has a date to where he's going to be able to play again. And yeah. Josh Gordon doesn't, it just doesn't look good. And the part that gets me with that is, Josh Gordon has his struggles and he has a substance abuse problem, but he's not hurting anybody. He's not putting anybody at risk. Now this is like his 10th life. So I understand the reluctancy to get him back in, but I would think that a guy like Josh Gordon, who has been a model citizen outside of his, his disease really um, would get an opportunity before a B. So you never know with the NFL, Roger Goodell. I feel like he flips a coin someday and say, all right, this is how we're going to handle this situation. There's no consistency in this thing. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, look, what Josh brings you, and I think we saw it a number of times last year is he's a, he's a terrific uh, more than anything, third down option for Russell uh, with phenomenal hands. He made some terrific catches. Uh, Do do you see him, if they get him back, do you see him playing a a potentially a larger role than that? Or is what, what would be the best way to use him if I don't think so. I think he's the number four receiver. I think David Moore has done enough to hold it down. He has 10 receptions for 173 yards and two or three touchdowns. He has one of the better averages in the NFL. I think you have your star in DK and Lockett. He'll be used, in my opinion, the same way. He's great on third downs. He has for sure hands, but he has to earn and prove it. You can't just come off the block and say, all right, I'm here now. I know this is my 10th try, but I need to be inserted into this office. And I don't think that he feels that way either. If he does come back, He'll play the back seat, but he will make two or three big plays. Hit that horn! Got to get a new horn! Buddha's a great player, um, you know, enforcer. Uh, you know, one of those guys, you know, if he was on the other side of me, you just, you just got to know where he's at at all times just because head's got to be on the swivel. Uh, he's always coming down looking, you know, looking to hit something um, and, and bring, you know, bad intentions. So, um, you know, he, he's a leader of the defense. Uh, great captain, and uh, uh, you know I'm glad he's on my team. Well, that's Cardinals uh, quarterback Kyler Murray on teammate uh, teammate Buda Baker as we get ready for what is now Sunday night football between the Seahawks and the Cardinals down in Glendale. The game shifted to prime time due to COVID concerns surrounding the Las Vegas Raiders heading into their game with. Tampa Bay. So uh, I wouldn't think that would impact uh, either team significantly. But uh, Michael, this is such a fun matchup to look forward to because you have uh, two of the more entertaining quarterbacks uh, in the uh, NFL in Kyler Murray in year two in Russell Wilson, the established uh, veteran, just from a fan standpoint, and then combine the fact, you know, a hell of a lot more about football and played the game. Bill and I did what, what, from your standpoint, the matchup between these two guys um, seems like it's made for prime time, to be honest. Yeah, it is. And I love it because I feel like without Russell Wilson, there would be no Kyler Murray. And they both have be- baseball backgrounds. And that's really what I was excited to ask Bill about uh, because Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, both had opportunities to play in the majors or at least get a chance to work their way up through the systems. Like, how does, how do you feel that helps them at the quarterback position being former baseball players? 
Well, I think, uh, you know, when you think about Russell, I'm, I'm, I may not be quite as familiar with where, where Kyler played on, on defense and in, in baseball, but um, you're kind of forced into some odd throwing positions. I think that's one thing. Um, I think you have to be very pretty dexterous, uh, you know, when you think about sliding out of trouble. Uh, so I think throwing angles, I think uh, sliding out of trouble, um, baseball requires uh, a long uh, period of concentration. Um, and I think, uh, and, it's a, and it's a difficult game. It's a difficult game from the standpoint of the way it's stacked against you statistically. So it toughens you up. I mean, you look at what, uh, what um, Russell went through. I mean, he went, he, he played rookie ball and, and he didn't hit. So, you know, he f- failed. I mean, but that's baseball. Um, could he have made it? He could have made it, but it was going to be a, a tough road. Um, baseball doesn't reward you quite as much as football. You got to be patient. You got to play the ride the bus and eat at Denny's. Uh, it humbles you in that respect. Um, football is a little bit more immediate. Um, both of them are, are exciting. Um, honestly, I think one of the things that baseball is missing is they need to have more more uh, pliability around the draft. Because then maybe you could get, maybe Oakland could have taken Kyler Murray and offered him to the Yankees. And then maybe the Yankees pile up a big pile of a coin and maybe it makes Kyler think twice. I think that's good for baseball. Baseball would go, oh, well, that's not, you know, it's hurting Oakland. It's like, no, baseball needs to find these guys. Baseball needs more athletes that change the game. I mean, I saw what Bo Jackson did. I saw how he was changing the game. The old hat, the old straw hat in the stands that says, you know, two hoppers short, never, you know, it never changes, you know, all this stuff that never changes, right? Well, that two hoppers short and Bo Jackson running or Deion Sanders running, it ain't on automatic. You let these guys play a little bit more and the game can change. Baseball needs more of those athletes. They're playing football and basketball. I don't know. I, I probably didn't answer your question, but I, I think <laughs> no, you um, anytime you play multiple sports, anytime yeah. you play multiple sports, I think it makes you better at your key sport i really think when you're looking and scouting you should know if guys have played other sports because you know that's going to make them better i want to give a big shout out to baseball players because <laughs> you go 30 percent in something and you're considered a great that means you're failing 70 percent of the time i don't think i can handle it that's probably why i didn't play baseball because i'm like I, I i can't fail i can't do 30 percent. so i tip my hat off to baseball players <laughs> I tell you, you know, you, as you're talking, Bill, you know, about the physical attributes of guys like Bo and Deion Sanders, it's, it's the marketing element too. You know, if, if a Kyler Murray with the, with the great career he had at Oklahoma had chosen baseball and developed into a star in the major league level, that is a marketable person. And baseball needs more of those guys who, who transcend the sport. You know, junior transcended baseball. Yeah. Um, and he's not... Granted, he's not the only one who has over the last 20 years, but my point is they need a lot more of them than they have. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, as you're, as you're talking about these guys that are multi-sports stars, I couldn't help but think about Dave Winfield, you know, back in the day. This, this was a guy who excelled in football, baseball, basketball, and uh, chose to, chose to take, go the baseball route. So um, getting back to the unbeaten Seahawks at 5-0, and Michael, against a 4-2 and Cardinals team, um, pretty pivotal game. Uh, with the Hawks coming off a bye, that probably works in their favor. Cardinals coming off uh, a victory over a, a flailing Cowboys team without the injured Dak Prescott. We mentioned Buda Baker, who's from uh, our area, Bellevue High School, played for the Huskies. 
uh, reigning NFC Defensive Player of the Week. It's just a lot of good storylines going into this one. Yeah, there's a lot. And not to mention the Arizona Cardinals always play the Seattle Seahawks tough. Um, and for some reason, when the Hawks go to Glendale, they play better. And, and when the Cardinals come up to CenturyLink, they play better. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. Just the fact that they they bumped this game to Sunday night just let you know that there are some ballers out there. You mentioned Buda Baker. Last game was the first time I said Monday night. All right, I'm going to focus on Buda. I, I've heard all about him. I've seen him play. Kid makes some plays. But I focused on him for 20 plays straight. And I saw some Jamal Adams in him. And, I'm, and it made sense. I'm like, okay, this guy's the highest paid safety in the league, not because he turns the ball over a lot, but because of the way he plays. He gets after the quarterback. He plays with emotion. And then, as I mentioned, he doesn't get interceptions. He got his first NFL interception that same night, so he's still continuing to get better. And then he's a local kid. I know he went to the other school, you know, I, but I still, <laughs> I still got love for guys who, who grew up in this area. My kids are going to grow up in this area. And, you, and then – we haven't even mentioned DeAndre Hopkins yet. Probably one of the best, if not the best receiver in the NFL. There, there are so many angles you can go at this. And then you have the undefeated Seahawks and they're passing the ball. Is Chris Carson going to get involved? It's, it's great. And I'm glad they bumped it to Sunday night. All that means though is that it's going to be a long night for me because I won't get home until about midnight. <laughs> I'll tune in, man. I'll tune in just so yes. you know your efforts are, 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 are worthy ones. Hey, you mentioned uh, Jamal Adams, uh, Seahawks safety. Didn't practice Wednesday, uh, missed the last couple of games with, with a groin situation. Should there be pessimism in, in terms of his uh, ability to go on Sunday night? He's huge. Nah, you, you said him. You don't even don't even play with it. You're five and oh, there's no you're not desperate. You don't need him to go out and, and make a bunch of plays. You make sure he's healthy and ready to go. If if I, now the next five games are going to be tough on him, they play what Arizona Cardinals twice they play San Francisco they play the Rams it's going to be tough but at this point I think you sit him be patient he, this is a future move he's going to be here for a while if you do it right playing the long-term game I like that and it certainly makes sense uh, this early in the season and with that unbeaten record we're going to talk uh, more NFL ahead uh going to break down a little bit the uh, three remaining unbeatens the Hawks Steelers and Titans but we want to shift to the fall classic uh, Bill one of your former teams the Dodgers took game one against Tampa down in the Lone Star State. The Rays bounced back last night. They get the equalizer. So now we're really down to a, a best of five. Um, what are your key takeaways through the first two games of this series? And based on what you've seen, how do you think this series is going to play out? Well, it's not going to be quick, quick death for the Rays. They're going to hang around. Uh, their their frontline pitching is too good, and uh, this was a big game to bounce back and win win uh, game two. That was big, and they got Charlie Morton, who's got one of the best records in ERAs in postseason play, who just seems unflappable. Um, he'll 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 be presented with a challenge because uh, the Dodgers can hit left-handed. Uh, they don't hit the breaking ball well, but who does? But uh, that's why Schnell was so important because. He he could nullify their lineup because he's left-handed. Because really they got a Rosarina and he's not really swinging it that well. And the rest of those guys are left-handed. So I think the Rays hang around. I think they win game three. Um, you kind of like you saw what you saw at the end of the game from the Rays. They're just better. They're better. They got they got they got those bazookas coming out of the bullpen, you know, one after the other. Um, they don't the Dodgers can't match them really. They they have some different guys down there, but they can't really match them. 
you know, the Dodgers want to smash you. And they smashed them the first game. And if it's close, uh, the Rays got a chance. I'm not saying they're going to win the series, but they got a chance. So are you basically Kevin, saying- Kevin Cash is more, more, uh, and even though he's on the, uh, the, the, uh, the program, I call it the program, the, uh, you know, how many guys can we pitch in one game program? Uh, cause we got all the numbers from above. It's a board game, uh, not a play, not just, you know, it's a board game with, with real players, but it's a board game. It's not a board game, but they think it is. Uh, but the other guy doesn't play the board game as well. Cash plays chess and Roberts plays checkers. And uh, that's been their problem, Dave Roberts. I'm concerned about him in a close game. So uh, like the Dodgers, uh, thorn in the side, Rays, they're going to hang in there for a while. So, uh, um, yeah, I just – I mean, Snell's going to have to come back and pitch another game. He's going to have to do more than four and change. I mean, that was great. He was was unbelievable for four innings. These young pitchers, they don't know what to do when they get to the fifth inning. It's like like they're pitching the ninth. And they're out of gas. I watch them. And Mark, we'll see what, uh, what Walker Bueller does. He's terrific talents that can't pitch the fifth inning. What's that all about? I mean, I'm just like, I just started to kind of get the feel for my breaking ball in the fifth inning. What, what do you think it is? Is it our skippers and managers? Are they so concerned about the health of their pitchers that they're not letting them uh, go as deep? Is it because guys are stronger? They're scared of throwing out their arm. What, why aren't pitchers really going deep into the game like they used to? Because they've forgotten how to do it because they've been, it's been taken away from them because these guys are elite and they're built to be that type of pitcher that, that can pitch seven to nine innings and throw 200 to 225 innings a season. They're built that way. They're made that way. They're unique that way. Uh, the best players in every sport don't come out in the middle of the game. You know, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. They want to play this domino game. The guy that's coming in is not as good. I mean, I, I listened to it last night. It was flat. Somebody made the point plain and simple. Uh, uh, you know, that the guy coming in is not as good as the guy that's coming out. But these guys have forgotten. They haven't been trained. They haven't been asked to be that type of pitcher. They're, they're just exhausting themselves on strikeouts, and then they don't know what to do the third time through. And um, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say about it. There's a, there's a certain uh, amount of – of command and feel and understand the game. I sure as heck didn't have to look at my baseball cap to figure out what to do next or pull a card out of my back pocket. I mean, it's just, it's it, some of this stuff, uh, Michael, if you're around a bunch of us that have played the game and if you saw the NFL changing so dramatically that way where the players look numb and not really into it, like there's somebody telling them what to do and how to do it, it would bother you. Okay. Yeah. And it bothers most of us. I mean, it doesn't take but 30 seconds before the conversation begins. So great athletes, unbelievable power, whether it's arm power or bat speed power, unbelievable. But the rest of the game is, you know, it's, it's, it, it remains a little bit on the want. I mean, I love Mookie Betts. He's a baseball player. Yeah. He's a baseball player. He can hit behind the runner. He can steal a base. He knows how to run the bases. He's a wonderful outfielder. He can throw. He is a baseball player. None of this one trick, strike out all the time, try to hit it, you know, out of the stadium, you know, or I'm a one, one pitch kind of one time through the lineup, one inning kind of guy. It just, uh, you know, I just, I, 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 I get concerned that, you know, we're, we're just, it's not a, it's not a video game. It's a baseball game played by real players and, you, know, you can't script it. Uh, Michael, since you bleed Dodger blue, what's your level of optimism right now on your, on your club? They're going to get it done in the end. 
Uh, you know, like I said before, I've learned in the past five, six years, especially just to simmer down, <laughs> stay calm and just accept whatever is going to happen. Yeah, I, it's uh, it'd be nice for the Dodgers to get it done. Lakers got it done this year to see if the Dodgers can do it. But, um, you know, I've I've um, I've committed my my emotions a little too heavily in the past. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I tell you, I don't I don't have a horse in this race, but but uh, back in the day. Uh, the, the plan B to the Mariners uh, for me was always the L.A. Dodgers because of Ron Say, because Ron Say and I uh, went to the same high school, Mount Tahoma, down in Tacoma. And, and Ron would sometimes come by during a, a Christmas break. I played basketball at the high school. He would drop in and, and, and shoot some hoops with us on occasion. So we were by uh, we were de facto Dodger fans at that time because of our uh, our association with the Penguin who walked like a penguin, shot like a penguin on the basketball court. It, it was the appropriate uh, nickname for him. All right, guys, um, let, let's shift gears. It's time for our Stars of the Week presented by Ecliptic Brewing. Pour some space in your face, ecliptichbrewing.com. The best batch of brew you're ever going to find out of the uh, fine city of Portland, Oregon. So, um I tell you what, I'm going to go first this time because I always let you guys go first. And I, I think that's unfair. I'm not going with an athlete. And part of the audio we heard right out of the gate to get uh, this week's podcast rolling was, I think, the best play-by-play announcer, regardless of sport. And that sport, in this case, is hockey. That announcer is Mike Emmerich, Doc Emmerich of NBC, who this week announced his retirement at the age of 74. I do play-by-play football. I do play-by-play basketball. I have nightmares about even trying to do hockey play-by-play. I have such great respect for the guys that call that uh, sport. And so I just wanted to tip my cap. I don't want to drop my gloves. I don't want to start a fight here, but Doc Emmerich, I want to say congratulations on a Hall of Fame career to a guy that even if you knew a sliver about hockey. He brought you into the game. He made it entertaining and congrats to him. Michael, who's your star of the week? My star of the week is Clayton Kershaw, man. He finally had a playoff world series performance that Dodgers have been waiting for that baseball enthusiasts have been waiting for six innings, eight Ks, one earned run. It was nice to see him kind of get that monkey off his back. It'd be nice if he has another performance and and helps finish the job, but I could imagine what that did for his psyche. I know he's an athlete. If you were to ask him, he's going to tell you, I don't think about that stuff. I just show up. I get on the mound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. But you go home, you have buddies, you have thoughts and emotions, and I'm sure he felt some type of pressure to have a good performance. So it was nice to see Clayton do what everyone thought he could do. I think that's a great point. I mean, there's, there's postseason pressure and then there's postseason pressure because of previous postseason struggles. Yeah. So to add that on tap on top of that and deliver, I think it's a great call with Clayton Kershaw, Mr. Kruger, who you got for us? Well, I'm going to stick with baseball. That's kind of stay in my knitting and I kind of go to the other side of the ledger. I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Lau who, uh, who had an unbelievable night last night, hit two home runs, two opposite field home runs. First time that had been done in a World Series game. One was a two-run homer, a couple of hard-throwing guys that he reversed for home runs, and he had been in an epic slump. I think it was something in the tune of like nine for 56 
uh, and they they were questioning whether or not uh, to stick with this guy. So as you know, Michael, or we all know, because we've all played sports, you know, when you're you're in that place where everything's going against you and you're able to turn the tables on the game in a big moment, um, I think you have to applaud him. Uh, he doesn't he's he's kind of made a quick ascent uh, to this uh, power and and recognizable rank. And on a team that's desperate for offense, I think you feel the pressure because all those guys are out there. To, they're, they're out there because they're a defensive team. And uh, Lowe is expected to be a big part of their offense. So uh, I'm going to tip my hat to uh, Brandon Lowe with uh, his two run home two home run performance last night. All right, guys, all great stuff that. Uh does it for this week's edition of stars uh, of the week brought to you by ecliptic brewing out of this world beer ecliptic brewing.com as we return to the nfl and the uh, unbeaten seahawks one of three unbeatens remaining also at five and oh the pittsburgh steelers tennessee titans michael uh of those three teams who's the best right now uh we we are in seattle that doesn't mean I'm going to pick these guys, but I am going to pick these guys. It's the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Why? Have, Why is it the Seattle Seahawks? Uh, one, because of Russell Wilson. He is playing at a level that no other quarterback is playing. Last week, I waited to see if Aaron Rodgers was going to be able to continue to have the type of success he had against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He kind of fell off. And they have proven that no moment is too big for them. There are going to be times where the moment's going to get them. I don't expect these guys to go undefeated during the regular season. They're going to take their loss. But um, they have guys on the offensive side who still haven't had their moment to shine yet, yet they're winning ball games. We still haven't had a Chris Carson game where he's gotten 20, 25 carries, 102 yards, uh, two touchdowns. We still haven't seen that yet. They're still winning. And they're winning with a defense that's given up a bunch of numbers in the past game, but they're they're holding it down in the rush game. I think they're the seventh rush uh, seventh ranking rush defense right now. I love their resilience. I know that Tennessee is playing well. Ryan Tannehill is, if you put up his numbers next to Patrick Mahomes, the last 14 games, they're neck and neck. Someone pointed that out to me. I said, you're crazy. I, I look at the stats. He's playing just as well as Patrick Mahomes the last 14 games. So you okay. Tip- okay. But uh, can you find anybody in the NFL that would take Ryan Tannehill over Patrick Mahomes? Never. The stats don't tell the truth. <laughs> no, the stat, exactly. Sometimes the stats lie. They, they, they trick you. They make you believe something that's not there. What they don't tell you is that what those stats don't tell you is that he's got a running back in Henry that is probably the best running back in the lead. A guy his size taking a rush 94 yards. That just doesn't happen. That's for the little guys. And so I respect all of those teams. But I think what makes the Seahawks a better team is that they are just battle tested. Now, they make it hard on themselves sometimes but they still have been in those situations and found a way to get out of it. These other teams aren't tested like that. As far as the Steeler goes, Ben Roethlisberger, he's just not the same guy. You look at the way he's playing, he's not chucking it down the field the way he used to. Um, He's dinking, he's dunking. They have a good defense out there. But this year in the NFL, offenses are outplaying defenses. So I will take a team with a great offense and a mediocre defense over anything else. Hey, uh, I want both your guys' opinion on this. And for some reason, this came to mind today. Um, As we know, the only occasions in which the Seahawks have gone to the Super Bowl, the three times, they were the number one seed in the NFC. Um, This is obviously a different type of season because, one, we hope to have a complete season. Um, uh, Fans are significantly less of the equation in terms of a home field advantage. 
But am I right from a Seahawks perspective that this year, um, and this is always important, but this may be significantly more important than playing at home because of fan support, is if you're the number one seed and you're the Seattle Seahawks, you're not going to Green Bay. You're, you're not you're not going to play a cold weather game, which could impact that high powered offense. Is that Michael, is that a fair assessment on, on what the number one seed would mean specifically this year and the value of it this year to the Seahawks specifically? I think the main thing about the number one seed is that you get to sit at home for a week, you get to get healthy. You know, last year, Chris Carson was out. Um, a couple other guys were out and I honestly feel like if they had their, their guys out there, they probably would have gone to the Super Bowl. That's just my opinion. You can argue against it. But that that bye week is crucial. At the end of a 16-game season, no one's healthy. No one's 100%. So if these guys get a chance to go home and heal up and maybe you get a Rashad Penny back or uh, whoever's banged up because it's not a matter of if you get banged up, it's when and how severe, severe is it. So I think the main thing would just be able to, to sit at home and rest. And really now your staff can prepare for two teams. So now you get a jump on the preparation. You can, you're can you going to prepare for two, you split your, your staff in half. You guys go here, you go there. Um, but so it's preparation and there's just time to heal. Uh, Bill, I wanted to use that as a jumping off point uh, back to the World Series being played at a neutral site. Yeah. This is... I, I don't know if it's ever happened before. There, there may be some circumstance uh, where a game or two or a series, I'm not aware of one, but um, how, how have the games felt to you being played uh, in a neutral location? It's nice to see some fans um, down at the ballpark. Yeah, there's, there's some energy there. You know, we, the, the, the games were played with no energy and now they're playing with some energy. And I guess with some energy, it feels like, it feels pretty good. I mean, you, you don't feel like the, 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 the there's that kind of raucous kind of overpowering energy that a home team could get. Um, you know, it, it is interesting. Tampa, I mean, they've got the kind of the bag over your head fan base, but they show up for the playoffs. And then you've got the Dodgers. And I, I Michael, I'm not going to try to pretend that I know Dodger fandom. It's improved quite a bit, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it quite like walking into Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park. Well, you're dealing with people that are really, really on you, <laughs> you know, that energy, that power, uh, they don't really offer that. So these, neither of these parks really offer it. I don't think even in a, in a, in a high powered series. So I don't think it really makes that much difference. All, All right. three parks are kind of, um, kind of defense pitching parks. Dodgers are this park they're playing in now is Tampa is kind of that kind of a park actually outside of the fact that they're playing with the high compression Titleist ball, uh, you know, the hundred compression ball they're playing with. And I mean, I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about the grassy knoll and where they're making those things. Cause they're, they're playing <laughs> with oh, a ball. Bill's, that, Bill's going conspiracy theory. I mean, you know, I question the guns and I question the balls. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Here I'll, I'll leave it at this. Oswald was not alone. Okay. Hey, um, um, Michael, you are as a as a fan of of both the Lakers and, and Dodgers in this unique position where both of your teams could claim titles within weeks of each other. And the timing of this, of course, brought about due to the pandemic. But I'm going to give you a hypothetical because of it. I'm going to yeah. give your Dodgers this World Series titles. Mm -hmm. So you got the Dodgers champs 
and you got the Lakers champs, mm-hmm. but I'm going to make you give one back. Which one are you keeping? Which one means most to you? Oh my goodness. That's, that might be one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked. That's honestly. what I'm here for. That's what I'm here awesome. for. Tom, you got me. I, you know what? I would give back the Laker championship just because the Dodgers haven't done it in 32 years. I thought you might go that way. Yeah. I mean, this, this city's been waiting a long time. Our hearts have been played with for a while. And, um, you know, it, and this Laker title was different. It wasn't a, a homegrown guy who won this for us. It was, you know, the guy who assembled a team, LeBron, he's great. But it felt different. When the Lakers won, I was nowhere near as excited as I was the previous six that I got to see. Um, and then with the Dodgers, if the Dodgers win, and I don't even consider myself a diehard baseball fan. I appreciate baseball. I watch baseball. I really like it. But I'm not a diehard. If the Dodgers win this one, I'm, I'm buying jerseys. I'm getting T-shirts, hats. I'm, I'm going all the way in. Boosting the economy. Well, hey, and here's the great news. My question was only hypothetical. So if the Dodgers get it, you get to keep them both. So there both, you go. Right? You're in great shape. Hey, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys go. Uh, a bit of a slight correction on myself. I, I mentioned that only the Hawks, Steelers, and Titans had five wins in the NFL. There, there's another I need to add to that. Do you know what that is, Michael? No. Who's that? That's the NFC East. <laughs> oh, you're on fire today, Tom. The you're NFC on East. Fire today. <laughs> Five wins total for a division <laughs> in football, led by the Cowboys with their two wins. Guys, awesome stuff as always. Fun to join up as we do each and every week on the Sporting Views with Michael Bumpus, Bill Kruger. And again, we, uh, we look forward to the continuation of the World Series Game 3 Friday night, Sunday night football for the Seahawks uh, down a, in Glendale against the Cardinals. Guys, we'll do it again next week. Have a great week. <laughs>